Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Green and Milner Show podcast here on Newcastle Fans TV. Alongside myself and Sam, this week we spoke, spoke to a physiotherapist, but he, a very special physiotherapist because he's an author, he's a barrister, but he also played for Newcastle United in the early 80s as well. Um, it's Paul Ferris and a very, very interesting career at Newcastle United. Play with the likes of Kevin Keegan, Chris Waddell. Peter Beardsley, a young, very young Paul Gascon, which he mentions about at the very beginning of this video. And Sam, his, his career as a physiotherapist at Newcastle and actually the nine-week spell working with Alan Shearer, yeah. when he was manager, some fascinating insights. Well, if you think, um, obviously Paul's not there now, but um, Derek Wright still is. They, them, Between them two, they've seen so much seen it they've seen everything practically since since even before I, I was a fan and i'm what 31 i've supported the club for 25 years they were there before then it and just to think the history of the modern day newcastle united and they've been there for all of it they've seen all of it um his book is fantastic um i urge you all to go and to go and get it and give it a read because it is fantastic um so so interesting not just from a newcastle united perspective but from a human aspect from a football aspect as well um just an absolute top top bloke as well he really was and he goes into great insights about his career as we've mentioned at newcastle working with a variety of different managers and a variety of different players some good some not so good um but we'll we'll let you um listen <laughs> to <laughs> Paul's thoughts but he, he also as an author and The Boy on the Shed which has won numerous awards and obviously Sam's had the pleasure of interviewing Henry Winter and Henry speaks very highly about this book he actually said it was one of the most it'd be one of the most talked about football books of the year obviously the, the year when um, the, book, uh, the Boy on the Shed actually came out so to get someone like Henry Winter to have that sort of accolade about a potential book Sam is is a real real honour, I suppose. Yeah, I think Henry Winter knows a thing or two about uh, football writing, doesn't he? Um, yeah, it is. Again, I, I just can't urge people enough to get to go and get it. I mean, you don't have to be a Newcastle fan to enjoy reading it. It's um, it's just a good football story, I suppose, and it's it's going to be adapted for TV now too, which is amazing, absolutely amazing. So. Um, a and lot exclusive of that, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, we're kind of a big deal. Um, but um, just can't praise this guy highly enough. He's um, really honest, forthright, um, not afraid to share an opinion or two. So you'll you'll hear some few interesting little nuggets in there from from key times during some pretty rocky patches in uh, Newcastle's history. So, yeah, a um, mild disclaimer, I don't think Paul's Wi-Fi was very good, and as we do these things all over Zoom these days, um, a couple of minor audio issues, which hopefully doesn't affect your enjoyment of this wonderful podcast too much. No, definitely not. I think it's probably a maximum about six seconds. So, Oh, what six seconds in an hour? Come on. Exactly. So there you go. Um, a big thanks to our sponsor, Beer52, beer52.com forward slash NFTV to get eight cans of any IPA lagers, beers or stouts. 
And that's just for the price of packaging and postage, five ninety five. So thoroughly recommend it. It's obviously it's going to be a little. Hopefully, with all the announcements from Boris, um, it might be a better year. So celebrate with a few cans from BF fifty two as well. But Sam, what are we going to do when lockdown's lifted? Are we going to do these things in person? Because like you're going to have to start paying me fuel if we do. Well, we're gonna. We'll have, I think what we'll, what we'll have to do, and maybe this is a, maybe a little exclusive for all the listeners out there. Um, well, it's an exclusive to me too because we've not spoken about this before. Well, this is what you're saying. I, I think we need to try and get a couple. I think if you can get yourself down for a couple of days, we'll try and arrange some um, near the end of it, near the end of the year, when it's probably a little bit more safer to do so, and we can actually try and talk to people face to face because I think there's a few people that we can get and. It'd be brilliant to get a few different people on, and to do it live would be, I think, it'd be strange at first. But I think very strange the way the way the, way the show is going. It 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 will be absolutely brilliant. And there's a big difference between like speaking to someone on a on a little part of a computer screen, which doesn't quite seem as real as when they're standing, you know, two meters in front of you. But um, yeah, no. Things are turning up, um, all coming up rosy. The summer's on its way. The daffodils are out, as uh, a famous northeast man once said. <laughs> and uh, yeah, who knows what the future holds? As I say, we're all on June twenty-first. Then we've all got a jab on our arm anyway. That'll be that'll be the day where you can celebrate with your beer fifty-two cans for sure. But this is episode number thirty-two. Am I right, saying so? Correct. Episode thirty-two, and it is with Paul Ferris. Hello everyone, welcome to the Greenwood and Mullen Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Alongside myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and my co-host, Sam Mullen. We are joined by a man who played for Newcastle United in the 80s, represented the club as a physio in the 90s and the noughties, and is also uh, an author as well, which you don't really get that with Newcastle players. A Newcastle player, then an author. Um, but we have got Paul Ferris on Paul. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Sam, Paul Ferris and Newcastle United, it's just the perfect combination, really, when you look at the last 20 years or so. It's probably one of the most recognisable faces um, from Newcastle United. If ever the camera pans onto that, um, onto the dugout, you're always, you're, you're always there, Paul. It, it's, it's weird, actually, now. Obviously, Derek Wright's still there, but um, it's, you're usually sat near him. It's, 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 it's odd now, looking in, and to see you not there. Yeah, well, Derek was is is was a very good friend of mine. Still, is a very good friend of mine. So it was um, you know, had it was almost like we were joined, we were joined at the hip at one point. But um, yeah, eventually I made a decision. Some some, I guess when you watch those clips back and you see you on the bench, no, no one unless you're looking for the physios, the backroom staff, you don't really notice them, and that's how it should be for me. When you when you're there as a backroom staff, you really you're there to do your job. But actually, most of the time when I was there. Anytime I catch a, clip, a glimpse of it, I'm usually jumping up and down when we when we when we scored a goal and, and you know the days when we used to be fantastic. It was that, that kind of period you know, when you're when you're winning three 0 at home or four 0 at home or five 0 at home. So it, it's all completely different. Obviously, we were just talking before about because uh, remember recording this, we, we just drew one one against Wolves the other day. So it's uh, a bit of a contrast to say the least. But Paul, let's take you right back to the early '80s. And when did you first hear of Newcastle's interest in you? And was it a massive decision for you to move away from uh, your roots? Well, it was a huge decision for me to move from my roots. First and foremost, I was I was a desperately shy boy, quite quiet boy, and, and, I, and I really didn't want to leave home uh, ever. But, but I was, 
But uh, oh dear, <laughs> but I was um, but I was <laughs> but I was um, that's lockdown haircut there going. But I, but I was uh, yeah, I was a young when I was a young boy. I was at Man United initially when I was a young boy. I got very homesick. I used to go across when I was eleven years old with Norman Whiteside and, and people like that, and and it really really just hated the I hated the experience of it. I just hated the whole. I just was a bit too much for me, and then I. Settled in my schoolwork, signed schoolboy forms for Bolton Wanderers, which were when, when they were no first division team. Went across there every holiday, didn't particularly enjoy it. I did, uh, and then when I was 16, the Bolton Wanderers, the entire staff was sacked and they just never contacted us again. So I found myself at 16, after always being coveted by lots and lots of football clubs at 16 without a club. And it, that lasted about two months. And then Everton came along and Newcastle came along. And bizarrely, Everton, Everton was sold to me as the, the big club. And Newcastle was sold to me as the small club, so I, I travelled. I travelled to both. Um, really didn't enjoy the experience in Liverpool that much at all. I have to say, um, came to Newcastle in, a, in a, I think October of 1980, September 1980, on a trial. Um, did very well in the trial, um, and I, I barely got. I barely got back home again, and they offered me an apprenticeship. So, so, and, and again, I tried to stall them. I read about. I read about this in the book. I tried to stall them until the following year because I was only. I just started my final year at, um, at school doing my, doing my GCEs and I tried to stall them until the summer, but they said, no, we want you to come now. So I left school. I left school at the start of my second year of my GCEs to come across. And, and, and it was a, it's a different world because it was, you know, you, it felt like you were moving a long, long way from home. I mean, it, nowadays, I think it probably wouldn't. Um, if Boris Johnson gets his tunnel, it probably won't be, be closer if, uh, <laughs> ever, ever, ever still. But at that time, it was... You know, you, you, you've got a, a flight every Tuesday, a flight every Thursday. And if you, if you miss it or you're not on it, you're staying here for the next period when you're 16. It's quite a challenge, actually. And, and you're just, you're, you know, all of a sudden you're living with strangers, you're working with strangers. You know, one minute you're, you're a part of your family, and the next minute you're, you're, you're just kind of yanked away from it. There was a lot of characters um, in that kind of team when you first signed for Newcastle. Um, obviously, a bit later on, you were kind of joined there by a young Paul Gascoigne. Um, I can imagine him to be um, an interesting character in his youth. Well, I wasn't joined later on with him. Actually, that, that trial game that I talk about, I read about it in the book. I actually, the first trial game I played for Newcastle United, he played in it. Um, he was he was two years younger than me. I was 16. He was 14. And it was a, it was a game at Whitley Bay. And, and, and again, I actually read about it in the book. I was a left winger at the time and I was very quick. And, and you know, you're, you're on trial. So I got the ball in, in the first five minutes of the game. And you're trying to impress, so I'm, I'm running, running at this defender, and this little chubby lad's running inside me, shouting for the ball, and I, and I used him as a decoy. I actually, I actually dummied the pass it to him. The defender bought the dummy, went around the defender, and I scored. And I think that's a fantastic start to your trial. So, so I got, so, so I got the ball again, and I'm running at the same defender again. He's terrified of me because I'm, I'm very, very quick. And this same lad's inside me, and he's screaming for the ball again. Only this time. I go one way past it to him. The defender goes towards him. I'm in behind the defender. I'm screaming for him to pass the ball to me. And he put his foot in the ball, folded his arms, and he said, fuck off. And I said, <laughs> 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 what? He went, he went, if you don't pass to me, if you don't pass to me, I don't pass to you. And he, and he hit the ball 30 yards out the other side, a perfect pass out the other side. And actually, that was, the first, that was my first experience at Paul Gascoigne. And, and actually, he... Uh, <laughs> He, and he was a great fella, and he was, and, and I spoke to him after the game, and he just said, "Oh, sorry, mate, I just get a bit, I get carried away in the matches and that." And I, you know, and and then he, and then he was, as I say, he was about a year and a half below me. Um, and really, in my case, my 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 sort of career at Newcastle fizzed into life very early when I was sixteen, and and, and and actually by the time I was nineteen, I was injured. By the time he was coming through, you kind of, but I had a lot of time, a lot of time with him, and he was a, he was a 
I mean, sure, you've heard all this before. A kind, a kind lad, a caring lad, decent lad. Just, just, yeah, you, you just, a, just a joy to be around, really. I love that. That's a great story. I, I honestly, especially at fourteen as well, to basically have the balls to, say, to have that, to have that, to have that about you, and actually put your yeah. foot in the ball and just in the middle of the game and just say, "F off, I'm, I'm going that way," <laughs> you know. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, actually, he, he I suppose, yeah, when he was sixteen, I guess I never, I didn't see what he was going to become, really. When he was, when he got to seventeen and eighteen, something just like it was almost like something just. Changed in him, and he just developed this amazing strength and amazing strength to run with the ball as well. And, and was the best person I've ever seen that actually had actually almost fouled in the opposition when he had the ball. He was incredible, you know, just had that ability just to put his hands and hand them off, and they, they couldn't get near him. So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a joy to watch. There was a few at the time. I, I was going to say that the best footballer I ever played with, and I, again, I wrote about in the book, was was and was Peter Beasley. Um, for me, it was Peter Beasley. It was Gaza was. Maybe a bit too young. Chris Waddle was fantastic. Kevin Keegan came at the end of his career. He was he was my my idol. But that season, if any, if any younger Newcastle players want to go and watch what it's like to watch Newcastle when there's some passion and some fire and some some real desire, go watch that promotion season with Peter Beasley. What what watch his goals? I'm sure they're available. In fact, I think they are available. You watch them and it's it's just great. It's grainy. The images are grainy, but it's just it's just natural talent. Just natural talent, ability. Graft everything. He was just, just yeah, and just the most unlikely looking footballer. <laughs> you know, really, just not, 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 didn't, didn't, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't. You won't think with this. wasn't the best physique in the world. Didn't look, didn't look particularly graceful. And then got the ball, and then looked really graceful. He put the ball this way, looked really graceful. Yeah. All right, boys, go on, Sam. Uh, no, it's just uh, rumor has it uh, back in Argentina in like late nineties. Lionel Messi had posters of Peter Beardsley on his wall. He scored some goals. You just, I mean, there's, there's a goal against Portsmouth, and that's when they when they when they, when they get with more and the muddy pitches, and it's it's sort of he's, he's on he's on he's kind of right in front of the goal, and he's shimmying and dummying and moving and dummying, and he goes to hit the ball and just puts his again stops it, and the defender just spins along the mud, he just taps it in, and you just think again, you got you got ice in your veins there. You just that's 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 just genius for me. Very much so. You talk about your Newcastle career, Paul, and you, you had some te- terrible luck with injuries, but to still play for the club, the youngest ever player to play for Newcastle at the time, you must be honoured in a way because it, it's still a, a hell of an achievement. And you talk about some of the players you played with, you must have played an awful lot. Yeah, um, I think after I left, after after I left, and again, I read about it in the book, and I, after I left, I was so hurt by by how it ended, that I kind of, I kind of buried a lot of that because a lot of it was painful. Because you, one minute you think you're going to be, you're going to have this. I mean, I, I say I was a shy boy. I think it's 16, 17, 18. I kind of thought I was going to have a career. I kind of believed I was going to have a career. And then at 19, you're injured and 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 you're you, I had I, it was almost like a real slow death. You had I had two years of just not being what I should have been. And and you're having treatment, you're coming back, you're getting injured again, you're having treatment, you're coming back, you're getting injured again, you've got people then looking at you saying, are you really injured? And you think, well, no, I definitely am. I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely in trouble here. And and I read about it in the book, it was like sand just slipping through your fingers. So when it finished, and it, when it finished, it was it was sickening for me. But in my case, it was it was really sickening because my, 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 mother, my mother died like a month, well, three or four weeks after I finished. And I find myself, you know, you go back two months and you're, you're a professional footballer. And then two months later, 
you're unemployed, standing in the door office, and your mother's dead, and you think, oh, this is a moment. This is definitely a moment where I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to, have to swim here. I'm going to have to really go if I'm, if I'm going to get back. So it took me, I don't know, probably two, three years to really look at it again and, and, and look back at it again and think, actually, you know what? For a boy growing up in Ireland, I expected more, but to be the youngest player to play for Newcastle, to score a goal at the Gallagher end, and that, that, there are still things to be proud of, even though I thought there was going to be 100 or how many I thought there was going to be. You know, it wasn't to be, and you just got to... You, yeah, I look back now much more fondly than I did then. What led to, obviously, having to retire from playing so young? What then led to you wanting to become a physio? What what appealed to become a physio instead of coaching? Or, obviously, you're a barrister as well, so... Yeah, uh, I think it was the academic thing. When I, when I, when I, one of the things I'd said to Newcastle United when I was 16 and I wanted to stay at home... I was doing well at school and I knew I was going to do and, and I already had ambitions. At that point, I thought I'll, I'll go to Queen's University. I'll go and do, I'll go and, I'll go and be the first person in my family to go and go to university. I had all those hopes and dreams. And so when I, when I, when I was injured and I knew it was, it was slipping away from me, I spent an awful lot of time with Derek Wright. Derek Wright was my, came, came in, he came in 1984. I was his, I was his main patient for the, for, for, for the quite, quite, a, quite a considerable time. I think if you ask him, I probably was his most consistent patient for his first two years of the football team. So I, I would travel with him. He come. He'd do everything at the time. He was like he was. He'd go to the reserve games. He'd go to the first team games. So if you, I would be. I would be. If it was on the coach going to a game, I'd end up sitting with Derek because he he became my friend really because yeah, I spent most time with him. And he and he was just he put the really just it was just he just gave me the seed of the thought that that that's what I could, that's what I could do. And I had no real, no real. Well, first of all, I had no qualifications. So I, so when I finished, it was going to be a slog no matter what I did. And again, I read about this in the book. You have no qualifications. You're 21 years old, and I remember listening to an advert in uh, BBC Radio uh, Newcastle about um, Newcastle College saying, "Be the best you can be," or something. And I walked in. I walked into this 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 open day and said to this woman, "Can I um can I do some A levels, please? Because I want to be a physiotherapist." And she said, "Have you got new levels?" And I said, "No." She said, "Well, you can't do A levels then, uh, and you need to start. You need to go and do a foundation course." So I ended up having to do this foundation course and then do the A levels, and 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 actually, as it happened. I did the foundation course, um, and that was enough to get me in the physio course. And the physio people made me wait a year, so I did A levels in history and politics, which again leads to the barrister stuff later on. I kind of was always a bit conflicted about where I wanted to go, but the physiotherapy thing definitely came from very right. He seems to be such a. Uh, like I say, when you talk about Newcastle now, you can talk about your Shearers, you can talk about your Smiley Robinsons, Kevin Keegan, but Derek Wright, you just, I think he, he must have his own seat at Newcastle, yeah, I, have his own name know. on it. It's, it's, I don't want to be too sycophantic, but in any, in any, in any, if he was in any occupation, he would be the person you want to rely on in that occupation. He's just, he's just, a, he's just the first and foremost, that first and foremost, that I used to describe him as a gentleman, as in a gentleman, not a gentleman, but just, he's just, it's just a, he looked, he looked, he looks sometimes like he should be in the front page of the sun with a pint of Guinness and a swastika and, and being like the face of Thuggies, Thuggies, Thuggies Britain, Thuggies Britain, but actually, he's so far from that. Um, as, a, as a human being, he's just a really caring, decent, decent man. And actually, someone that was very dedicated and very good at his job. I was talking to him, I don't know, five days ago, and he's 60, um, 62 years old now. And, I, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this thing where I'm doing this course and I'm doing this course. And I think, you're doing this course, you're 62 years old. You're doing what course? And he's like, well, no, I want to do this course. So he's always he's always trying to be as, as good. That's why he stayed so long. Because you can't you can survive. You, you can survive in a world. I mean, think of physiotherapy when he came into it. It's an entirely different, entirely different profession now. But he had, he's had to grow and adapt with that, and he has done that. Yeah, of course, he has. And 
you look at yourself, Paul, when you in 1993, you were given the opportunity to to be a physiotherapist at Newcastle. Was it a no-brainer? Because you've got Kevin Keegan there. Obviously, you know the city well, you know the club well. And did you ever imagine what it would be like in those the first 13 years? I know we'll talk about, obviously, when you left as well, but that no. first 13 years, could you actually even imagine what it was going to be like? No. I mean, I, first and foremost, when I left, it was a long way back. It was a long way back for me. When I talk about those days of study, and they were, they were, and I read about it clearly in the book. They are dark days when you're going, you're standing on the dole, and you're, you're going to try and get yourself a, a council flat somewhere, and you're trying to get yourself back and back, back to somewhere. And actually, all I was interested in at that point was, can I, can I become a physiotherapist and work in the health service? Can I work? Can I work? Can I work? And that's what I did. I actually went. I went, and I actually was working at the Freeman Hospital, and 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 I was working at the Freeman Hospital with a patient. And 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 I got a I got a phone call. It was and I hadn't spoken to Derek. I had because when when you when you leave the football club, you don't want to be someone who's hanging around. That it it doesn't. It's not that environment. Not for me anyway. I didn't feel like I could go back there because it's just you almost feel like you're hanging on. So I basically I basically just disappeared and, and did my own thing. And I got a phone call when I was with a patient at the Freeman Hospital. Another one of the physios walked into the into the treatment room and said, "There's a Derek Wright on the phone for you." And I and I, and I nearly dropped the patient just because I thought, <laughs> I thought there's only one reason his contact must be. And I called and he called and he said, um, you know, we're, the club's getting too big for just me. There's room for another physiotherapist. We're interviewing. We're interviewing some people. Would you like to come for an interview? They actually actually gave me the heads up and, and I went and had an interview with the doctor, um, and got the job and took the job on, took the job on less money I was getting in the health service, um, because I wanted to go back, and and it's funny because all those things that you buried once you go back. You allow them all to come in, so you connect all of it. You think, oh, I used to play here, and now I'm back here again. This is where I was meant to be. This is why I live in this part of the world. And then all of a sudden, you're on this journey with 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 what Kevin what Kevin did with the team. I mean, that first year I came back, we finished we finished third and we finished third in the Premier League after being promoted. I mean, it's and you see all these who's the best team to ever come up and do with it. Well, that team's pretty pretty close because it was, I mean, it was remarkable. And then the next, you know, the next season. They, I think the next season they dipped a little bit and finished sixth or something, and he was so disappointed he wouldn't even he didn't want to he didn't want to walk around the pitch and, and acknowledge the crowd. You know, and then the season after you're second and you're second and you're so so he he I mean he was the driving force. I remember him the moment he came as a player it just lifted the city, and the moment he was there as a manager it lifted the city because he understood the city because the city was the city the football club is the city that that's 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 what this that, that I, my kids are. Are three boys now I have, and they're, they're the eldest is 28, and the, and the youngest is 19. The middle one's 24. And I say to them, I always say to them, you live in the city because of that, because of that, that. That's why we all live here. And that, that 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 little bit of football pitch there transformed the whole course of my family's life, really. But it's it's the same for every family. Well, my friends, I've never I've never been anywhere where I still meet my friends after all this time. And the first thing they talk about is the disaster that's Newcastle United or the or the success they have. The, the little moment of success they had it's just it, it, it is the city and kevin kevin keegan got that and kevin keegan gets that and, the, and i'm sorry but the fact that kevin keegan's not part of the football club now is uh, honestly is up there alongside the fact that alan shearer is not part of the football club and i don't mean to be managers or whatever they are they are the assets of the football club when you go 100 years from now people won't care about mike ashley they won't care about you and me and they won't they'll, they'll, they'll remember they'll remember alan shearer they'll remember kevin keegan they'll remember bobby robson they'll remember malcolm mcdonald and and Jackie Milburn and Joe Hart. That's 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 that that to me is why this football club is always so special. I'm not sure other football clubs have that. No, 
I couldn't agree more. And, and for any any supporters, kind of like my age, like early early thirties and late twenties and whatnot, Kevin Keegan, his manager start, his management style, how inspirational he was, and how how his teams played football. That's why that's why I'm a Newcastle fan. I'm not from the area. I'm in the Midlands, but that team is just so awe inspiring, and you want to you want to be a part of that when you're a kid because that's the first team you look out for on, on match of the day because they're the most exciting to watch. But the thing is, with Kevin Keegan, no statue, no stand named after him, no even Joe Harvey's got a plaque. It's wrong, isn't it? Well, not not even no statue, no stand. Rank animosity towards him. Let's be clear. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not that he hasn't got a stand or hasn't got whatever it is. It's the same with Alan Shearer. You cannot. You cannot, and you should not treat the people who have created the memories for the other people in that way. You just can't. You just shouldn't. You can have all the money in the world. You can have. A, you, can, you can be the best businessman in the world. But please, you, 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 you have a little look at what they mean. What they, I look at my, my again, my boys as well. My boys are the same as you. The eldest, twenty-eight. And he kind of remembers the end of Bobby's time because he was a ball boy there, and he got he got and, and he remembers as being the Champions League. The others, my middle son is a mad Newcastle United fan, Owen, and I just keep every day he comes he's saying you're watching the match today, and I say why would I? It's shit, and he's like, no, it's your cat. I'm saying, I'm saying yeah, but I feel sorry because you don't you don't know what it's like to to watch. And Newcastle have been Newcastle have been crap before. Let's be clear. When I came in '81, we were we were crap. We were a second division team, and we were we were we were. After the Bill McGarry years, we were we were we were in the doldrums, but at least when like and Arthur Cox was the manager again. Let's go back to that. Someone who understood the city, a man. Go back and look at him. What an absolute giant of a manager he was, really for Newcastle. Really, really. I mean, he he brought Kevin here. He he was a real steeped in football. Got the football club, and away we went. It just doesn't feel like we're on the way to go anywhere anymore. It's a real shame when you when you talk about that, and especially the the nineties era. Um, when you when you obviously work with the likes of say a Kevin Keegan or a Sir Kenny Dalglish, a Rude Hullard, do you have to change your ways as a phys- physiotherapist with all these big name players because you can go with your, like your Andy Coles, your Les Ferdinand, so on Shearers? What does what does the manager ask from you, Paul? And did they differ, particularly in the nineties and maybe the noughties as well? They differed. In the, they differed in the respect they gave you. I think as a, as a professional person sometimes, which is which was. Quite hurtful because it used to. One of the reasons why I left football actually was when I came into it, my I never had any aspirations to be anything other than a physiotherapist. The football bit was gone. I wasn't. I wasn't the coach. I wasn't there to judge players on their ability. I never commented on their ability. I just. I wanted them. I wanted when they walked in the room to think, well, actually, they have a professional person in here who's going to look after them, who's who's independent from the football club. That, from that makes that makes sense because I think that's what the medical team should be. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be going into the medical room and wondering if the, if the if the physiotherapist is speaking to the manager about you or if, if you confide something in the physiotherapist, it's going to get back. So very strongly, and Derek was very much the same, he wanted to create an environment where a player could walk in no matter what his profile was, and he was your patient, and you and you were a professional person looking after him. And I think that that's what led to the longevity, and that's what led to Derek's longevity. Yeah. Now, what changed sometimes was some managers got that and understood that. Other managers would... In my case, my case, I rehabbed Alan for nine months just before Rude arrived. Alan had a really serious ankle injury. I thought I was doing, my, I, read, I read about it in the book, I thought I was doing my best work for the football club as that professional person, getting our best asset back on the field. When Rude came in and that whole thing happened where he wanted to decimate and, and the, the Eagles thing, I got somehow got caught up in that. And I'm, I'm coming home and I'm thinking, I might lose my job here because this guy thinks I'm Alan Shearer's friend. Well, actually... I was Alan Shearer's friend, but only because 
I'd spent nine months giving the best I had to him, and he respected me for that. That's not to be judged or to be criticised. That's that that should be a thank you very much for me. That's what, and and it wasn't. It was the opposite. So so when you ask, did I change my approach? The managers asked me to change. I never changed my approach from one manager to the next. I just decided that I was going to do my job, and that anybody with with anybody with any kind of ability to see decency and hard work would see that. That's kind of what I thought would happen. That doesn't always happen in football. That doesn't always happen. <laughs> yeah, very true. God, I remember, remember when I was a kid, I hated the Rude Hullet era, but <laughs> compared to now, it just seems yeah, like... I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't too keen on it myself, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would, I would say being, being a, a former player and a, and a bloody good one, um, and physios, I guess, just see pretty much everything. We've had a lot of guff along the way and have you ever looked around the the training ground and thought what are you some players and think what are you doing here yeah i, I tell you I, the, only, the only time i ever had that moment was was when I, i'd got i'd gone back with alan for those eight weeks eight weeks at the end that we know um, in 2009 and we were there we were there for eight weeks eight games sorry and, it, and we went in april the first which is a bit ironic but we, we went and it wasn't it wasn't it, we were there, we actually went in, sat down, and before you know it, two games have gone and you've got six games left and you're four points adrift or whatever it is, and, and, and you're thinking this is this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a tough, this is gonna be touch and go no matter what. And I can remember sitting I can remember sitting in the and I'd be unfair to name the players, but I remember sitting in the manager's office with Alan and the, and there's a big glass window that looks out over the training pitches and there were so many people injured and the, these two lads were just walking across towards us and they, they neither of them had really contributed to the first team, they never were gonna to contribute to the first team. And I knew how much they were earning, and I just said to him, walking across towards you now, there's, there, there's, there's a hundred, there's a hundred and forty grand, there's hundred and forty grand a week walking towards you right now. That's useless. And it was the first time, really, in my head, I thought, Jesus, there's, there's an awful lot. That wasn't, that wasn't their ability. It was just that they were never going to contribute. It was just the, it was like, it was like there was so much fat there. There was so much like stuff that was just around it. And you think, Christ, we haven't got time to deal with that even. So, so, and, and I think with. Conversation we kind of had was well they can just we just need to just say hello to those people and they can they can just they can just park because because they they can't help us for the next six weeks but but yeah I mean we had some we had some we had some dreadful players over the year I, I tend I tend to think more that uh, maybe I'm a romantic I tend to remember the ones that were really good things that when I watch people in training and they're or in a match and I think wow I never ever could have done that or how the hell's he done that or what, what that's you know David David Ginola springs to mind I think of David Ginola because I was a left winger. And, and 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 I'm embarrassed to call myself a left winger when I see what he did in his first six months because he was just he was like a ballet dancer. I mean, he's like a six foot two ballet dancer. And I, I just he could turn both ways. He was turning. He was turning. He was turning as if he was five foot two instead of six foot two. No, he just amazing and, and strong and graceful and just but the best. I mean, the best thing I'd seen since Peter Beards at that time was just watching him. I must sitting in the dugout just been, look, look. He was thinking, "Wow, have we got him? Is he here?" But and I was just, and then yeah, just 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 then he just then and you watch him the same player David and when he lost interest and wanted to go he wasn't he wasn't doing that towards the end but 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 for for a long period he was just a genius David. When you look at those amazing times throughout the Kevin Keegan era, the two FA Cup finals, I know the Rudhull era wasn't the best era, but two FA Cup finals, and then you've got the Sir Robson era. How close do you think Paul? Because obviously. Being obviously a former player, you, you obviously know the game. How close do you think Newcastle were from winning a trophy? But we've asked former players, we've asked like Lee Clark, Warren Barton, yeah, and they we said were, it we was were, so close. 
Oh, we were closer under Kevin than under Bobby. I think we were, we were close. We were we were we were we were a consistently better side because he had he had. I think Kevin had a better budget and bigger, and and bigger players came. I think Bobby. I think Bobby's. I think if you look back at what Bobby did for the, with what he had and the budget he was given, I think I think his his is an amazing era. But the Kevin era that 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 season, we used to go. Our facilities were were really really poor. I mean the the the, the backroom facilities were poor. You know, our medical room was a couple of offices converted into at Durham at, at Meaden Castle in Durham. So we would go, we would go to like a local gym and 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 take players there, and and you'd set up a massage room, you said whatever. And I can remember being, tw- I don't know, that that time we were twelve points clear. I remember Warren Warren Barton and Les Ferdinand. Derek was one of them, and I was with the other one, and they're just talking. And and and, War- and Warren's actually saying, do you think we should think we should have that an alcohol ban from now to the end of the season, just because we're so far ahead? Let's just be really, let's make sure, let's make sure we nail it. Let's make sure this thing is is is. Neat. And at the time, I remember just saying, well, that, yeah, you could do that, but actually, I. I I would just do what you're doing, just stay, just whatever you're doing is working. But um, but at that particular, did I think they were going to win the title that year? I thought I thought they were certainly to win it. I mean, if you look back to it, they, they had a wobble at the end. But Man United had this moment with Eric Cantona where they just kept winning 1-0 and they just kept scoring. They, and, and the game at St. James, you know, they, they, there was just, there were so many things that went against them. And it does turn, it turns on small things. And I think that team at that time was the closest anybody knew we'd ever be. And I wish they had done, I wish they had won it because... You know, if they had won it, then then this re- this you get this. People love to look 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 back and revisit things, and they rewrite history. And now Kevin Keegan is perceived as this manager who didn't didn't play with tactics and he didn't do this and didn't do that. I mean, that team was was poetic, really. And had they won, everybody else would have had to be poetic. But that's what that's what would have happened. But in the end, they didn't. And then we get we get banged over the head by being. Celebrating teams that didn't win, but they were they were uh, that, that was an amazing team. That Beasley, Janola, Ferdinand, you know, uh, Keith Gillespie, that that kind of Rob Lee, just you know, just just great players. And then and then you bring Alan Shearer in to be the finishing piece, and it all goes to no 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 no. no, 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 no. <laughs> no the day he arrived, you think, well, here we go. You know that that you know, people look back at him and they keep questioning him. Why did you sign for Newcastle United? Yes, he was coming home, but he was coming to a team that nearly won the league the year before. Who would would he got enough comments of the sure he thought but players Yeah, go on, uh, Sam. Yeah, it's just I don't it just all brings it flooding back, doesn't it? I just can't comprehend how that team never won anything it just it just doesn't bear thinking about and just how good was Alan Shearer because there's there's kids that are watching football now and think Harry Kane's gonna beat this guy's record who just sits it on match of the day every Saturday night but there's no comparison between the two just how good was he um not just as a player but as a, a model professional as well yeah, well, first and foremost, he's the first player. When we signed him, it was just after Euro '96, obviously, and 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 I and, and even then, even then at the time, people talk about Gaza and different things. Go back and watch Euro Euro '96. He nearly carried England. He, Alan Shearer's go. They they that's what. And I remember watching it as someone who didn't know him and thinking, "Good God, what a player he is!" Just just he was just phenomenal. And then. Typically Newcastle United, I got a phone call. I was at I was at the training ground one day. I got a phone call from the chief executive and he said, We're traveling to Manchester to um to sign a player. I can't tell you who it is. 
but with, but with, I'll, meet, I'll pick you up I'll pick you up at Durham and I got in the back of his car and we headed to Manchester incognito with a car with NUFC number plates on <laughs> and we, we walked into this this medical this private hospital and he said the player's in there and I opened the door I opened the door and it's Alan and I remember at the start I remember at the time thinking whoa Alan's here <laughs> and then I had a chat with him and they did the, the deal was happening over it was already time it was like the finishing touches the, the business people were doing that so me and him had some time together and I sat with him for an hour and a half and had a cup of tea and at the end of the hour and a half, I phoned my wife and said, "This guy's going to be a phone line because I didn't forget forget these forget these Alan Shearer. This there's a proper, a decent, 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 just a really sound, solid human being. And 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 that's the first thing I always think about. I'm glad I go to the football, I guess, but but as a person who's known him now for goodness knows, I've known him for many many years, and I've had some illnesses during that time. And and as a friend, is everything you want a friend to be." Is not not in your face, but is always there. He's not. If 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 you think, I wish Alan Shearer was this type of person. That's who he would be. That's who he is. And that's what I've always found with him. Find him to be a standing friend for me and family um, through all this time. But as a player, I just love loved watching him. He just had this. He had this personality that that you you'd be talking to him, having a cup of tea at the pre match meal. And then two hours later, you're in the changing room and they're putting their shirts on. It looked like he'd grown. It looked like he'd grown in stature. He'd be getting louder and louder and he'd be standing taller. And, and it's just it's just amazing self-belief. Now, that amazing self-belief, I think, carried him on to be another player when his, when his, when his, when his, when his, his big assets started to go. That's self-belief. He just wouldn't, he wouldn't let himself. He wouldn't let himself. I'm sure in his head, he had that record in his head the day he arrived. He was going. He wasn't going to stop until that was that was done. Maybe I've never asked him that. Maybe maybe that's true. I don't know why he retired. From him. But he just had this belief in himself and ability. Sometimes the simple things you'd watch it when you're watching the game. Someone would smash a ball at him, and he would have all the tricks in the book before the ball smashed at him. He's already hit the defender. The defender's off balance anyway. He's controlling the ball with his arms. Sometimes instead of his body, he gets away with it. You know, he sticks his backside in which he doesn't have in the game, and then knocks the ball thirty yards that way. And you think that, that now that might be nothing because that's not a goal, but that's like you just think you just know this game, you know this game inside out, you know everything about this. And and he was just that's why I had great aspirations that he would be a great manager. I just felt like he understood the game so well. Um, yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough to interview him for twenty minutes a couple of weeks ago. Um, Johnny didn't, I did. <laughs> right, um, stop going on about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I've going on about it since. Um, but I asked him about that stint as manager and yeah. whether he thinks because I was there that day when um we played Fulham, lost one nil, but we had a perfectly good goal disallowed, and then that point essentially would have kept us up. But um, do you ever think about what if because I think if we'd have stayed up, I think he, he could have, I think he. He, he was especially just after it happened. He was mocked unfairly by kind of like the the outside media. But I, yeah. I think he could have gone on. I think he was harshly treated. I think he could have gone on to to become a a good manager. I think when when he went when he went in there in in, in April, I think he did it. He knew it was a. He knew it was almost a lost cause. I think he did it because I think if you look at it, maybe he said this to you. I think he thought, well, I can't lose here really because we're expected to go down. The team's a shambles anyway. We're in trouble anyway. If I keep them up, fantastic. If I don't, 
I have a conversation about staying on. And 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 I think it, and 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 that's 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 essentially what happened. The day that we went down to Aston Villa was a devastating day, but I didn't think that day. Well, that's the end of this. That, that's not that's not what my intent. That's not what his intention was. It's not what my intention was. We set we set in the airplane coming back. We set in front of the plane coming back, talking about who was going to be there next season with us. It wasn't it wasn't that we weren't going to be there. It was going to be. And then we had a meeting on the Tuesday, and um, with Mike Ashley, and and we had a general meeting where it was where we had a bit of a negotiation. And Alan and Mike went and had a chat on their own, and they came back out again. And Alan told me some of the things he'd said to Mike. I thought, oh, that's a bit honest. <laughs> I really held back on, maybe held back on some of it because, uh, and he didn't because he's an honest lad. He just said, "This is what I think is wrong with this football club. This is what I think I want to change." And we left that, we left that conversation with a handshake and a promise that we would get back together and we would, and we would have another conversation about what we just discussed about being the management team. That was on the Tuesday. I went off and I went off for a little break with the family on the Saturday, picked up a Sunday paper and it had a big headline in there. And myself and Alan had given me a title of performance director because you couldn't think of the title for me because it was just that we don't even I kind of made it up in the spot almost because I was going to look after the rest of the football club while he looked after the football inside. And it basically just said Greedy Shearer has asked for this amount of money and performance director Paul Ferris has asked for this amount of money. And I phoned Alan and I said, you're not getting the job. You're not getting it. I said, why? Because like, someone just leaked Everything the conversations it's in the Sunday paper today, and my title of performance director that we made up two minutes ago is in the is in the paper, and it just it just left a sour taste, and he never heard it. We had another conversation with Derek Lambas about two days later. We came in to the office and said something about struggling to get a loan from Barclays or something, something, some stuff that was just, and uh, we can't get a ten million loan from Barclays. We'll keep in touch, and then you start to see the stuff coming out. Saying she has asked for too much money. We're going to appoint somebody else. Chris Hutton's going to get the job. And before you know it, I'm sitting all summer waiting for a job that I think we've got and we just didn't get it. Now, to me, that was devastating because that's me. I've already jumped off a legal career for that. That's me. That's that's on a personal level. That's a, that's a devastating blow. To treat to treat someone like him like that. You know, I just I just don't. It, it, it actually has sickened, it's sickened my love affair with Newcastle United. I have to say it really has. And I try not, I try not to be bitter about it, but it's very hard not to be. Yeah, so when you ask, and then he, and he, excuse me, then he, then he, then he had a couple of other offers at different places and places to go, and he phoned me up and say, "I'm thinking about going here. What do you think? I'm thinking about doing this." But I actually, I actually mm, can't speak for him. I think it knocked, I think it knocked the heart out of him. I think it knocked the heart out of him because I watched him work for that eight weeks, that period of time. I was exhausted. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of the office. It's quarter past seven in the evening. I'm opening the door and I'm saying, "I'm off home now." And he's saying, "Well, you having an early day?" And I'm saying, "No, I'm, I'm going home because he just he was so committed to it." And then he'd play a game in the evening and he'd say, "I want to go back and watch the match." And I say, "When?" He say, "No." And we go back to his house and watch them. We watch the match again to watch. What, you know, he was, so I, I he was on his way to being very committed and very. And that was that was the second offer he had. He had an offer to come. Thought he was going to take it and quick materialize it. So I'm very disappointed in the personal level he didn't become a manager, but actually watching him as a pundit now, I think he's grown immensely as a pundit. I think I think I think he was I think if he if he, if he goes back himself and looks at the early stages, I don't think he was that great to be honest. I think he was but 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 you know, thank me for saying that. But um but but I think he's fantastic. I think he's brilliant. I don't know, I think he's honest, I think he's straightforward, I think he's forthright. I can see him having challenges when he has to talk about people or his friends now, but actually he still does he still he still tries to be as honest as he can be and and I think I think yeah I think he's very I think that's a that's a great role for him. Of course it is. I think he's really grown into it, and I think you're quite. Well, yeah. I mean, he still gets criticised in that. You hear people saying those boring, but that people just don't listen. People just don't watch what they see in front of them. Sometimes he, he's changed and developed and grown in that role quite clearly. He has because he's he's that type of individual. He's always going to grow into a role. He's not going to let 
if you if you you, you interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, if you get in an argument with him, you better have your argument straight because I tell you he's going to keep going until until he thinks he's won the argument. Even and then and, and the best thing ever is to get him in an argument, realize that he can't win, and just let him keep going, going, going because you know you're going to have him because I. But but he but he's but he's 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 a he's a He's a really intelligent lad, and, and and I'm sure he hasn't got the academic qualities to some people, but he's a sharp character. Yeah, I think Sam was terrified to annoy him. Um, but we'll move on. He was absolutely brilliant. He was, and I'd I'd never I'd never met him before or spoken to him before, and obviously, being the age I am, and he was obviously my childhood hero, and. Oh, just, yeah, I, I come away from that shaking one man. Yeah, there's things that you get about him, and it's, it's difficult not to take a chance. You don't want to, but, but, but I, I, I tried 99, and, and I've been working with him for quite some time at that point. And I went home and I read about it, not, not this about the book, but I read about those flowers at my dad's, you know, from like my sister was a cleaner, her, her cleaning company had a flowers there. There was flowers from my brother, who's a taxi driver, his taxi company's had flowers there. There wasn't a card or anything. There was no recognition from Newcastle United that anything had happened in my life. And the only contact I had from Newcastle United was was Alan. And 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 he's and he's he's phoning you up to say how are you? Where are you? What's happening? What? And that matters. That that really matters. And it really and it because you get you at the time when we're looking, thinking I need to go to this football club. Is they don't give a hoot about just just humanity. Just, just forget you're a physiotherapist or you're you're an employee. You just to have a recognition that some, something's happened to So someone, like, you know, and then, and then he's just been a, yeah, as I say, I've had some illnesses. He's just been a really good, a really good, yeah, just, he's been a really good friend, mainly because I think, I hope he trusts me and I trust him. You know, he'll never break that trust and I don't think he'd break my trust and I think that's that's a good start to any friendship. 100%. Um, I have to talk about one little bit about that nine-week spell at Newcastle and I'm, you might know what I'm going to go on about before we touch about the book itself. And it is, it is part of the book, is that is the Michael Owen debate um, before that Fulham game. And when reading that passage, you just seemed dumbfounded by what he came out and said. Did, just to briefly go back a little bit, Paul, did, did you feel like it was an insult on your professionalism that he didn't want to play, even though you'd done everything right in regards to the scan, giving the information back to the manager, which was obviously Alan Shearer. Did you think this is just this is just not the club that I um, signed for, essentially, or worked for? Because you just wouldn't get that when, obviously, when Keegan was here, when Bob uh, Boy Robson was here. Did you just find it just so like like so strange, really? I think I think there's a there's a when I look back now, it's, it's kind of a misunderstanding sometimes when I say. But what happened at that particular point? It was a very it was a very simple point. I was I was part of the management team. I wasn't I didn't come back as a physiotherapist, so I, I hadn't practiced physiotherapy for quite some time. So Alan asked me to go basically to Southampton before the Newcastle thing. He said, when I go into football, I have this idea. I want to run the football side of things, and I think you should run all the other side of it. You should run all the medical side. All you responsible for who we staff, where we go, what we do. And make make just take that bit away from me because that's not my expertise. That's yours, and I'll trust whatever you say on that side. And that was what we were going to do. And when he came in for that period of time, I came in as part of the management team. So that particular conversation, I wasn't sitting in as a physiotherapist. I wasn't I wasn't actively involved in scans or deciding or putting my hands on players. That wasn't what I was there for. I was just part of the management team saying who's available for the weekend. That's kind of that's kind of my my role. So I came in and attended the medical meeting and. 
and Michael had hurt himself, and and and, and I don't doubt for a second he's hurt himself, and he had he, he had some he had a problem with his groin. I think was it was at the time, and you do what you do. You got a scan. Scan came back and was was clear, which doesn't mean there's not a problem. It just means it's not a big problem. It's not something that's glaringly obvious. So it was a general conversation in a room with medical staff where you're just saying how are you feeling, what's happening, the scan's good, everything's okay, and said, will you be available for the weekend? Do you think you've had a chance to be available for the weekend? And Michael at that point just just put his hand in his groin and said, I'm out of contract in the summer. What if I hurt myself over the weekend? And then I'm, out of con I'm injured in the summer and I don't get a contract elsewhere. And then I said, as part of the management team, will you have a contract here now with us? Because it, uh, now, that, and then we had a little bit of conversation. He went in to see Alan. Then he had a fitness test, and he failed the fitness test on the full on the on the Fulham game that weekend. So when you say, "Was I disappointed or shocked?" Or it is, I was none of those things. I was part of the management team talking to a player and asking him, "What do you reckon for this weekend?" And he said, "Which is his right and his choice." I've got one eye on what happens in the summer. Now, ask me. If that's me as a person. Would I have one eye on? I'd probably be stupid enough to say, "No, I'll play and my groin to shreds." I don't know. I, 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 but there's there's two there's there's two there's two sides here. Well, there's two sides here. One is, if you're part of the management team, you really want to focus on what's happening at the weekend, and you and you, you want your assets. That's what you want. That's what you want to happen. If you're a player and you have one eye on that, that's your choice. But to have that one eye on that, some players would have, some players wouldn't have. What what is what is, I guess, frustrating for me sometimes now is that 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 that, that just, I mean, I heard I heard Michael on a radio show talking about something. He actually talked about. His body in the line against Aston Villa, and how there was Alan's go-to man, that was me, who fed him a line about something. All I did was sit in the room as part of the management team and listen to a player say, "If I hurt myself this weekend, I won't get a contract elsewhere." It's as simple as that. Now, what you feel about that, or what anybody else feels about that, that's your choice. That and that, and that's 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 how. It, but from my point of view, as part of a management team, your focus is just trying to get as many. I mean, he was our centre forward. You wanted to score goals. You want to play against Fulham and score a goal so we don't have to go to Aston Villa and get your focus is solely on that. But you know, no one, at no, at no stage did I ever question the fact that he felt something. I'm sure he did. At no stage did I ever question anything else other than I've got a player sitting in front of me saying I won't get a contract elsewhere if I get hurt this weekend. That's his choice to say that. What you think of it and what everybody else thinks of it, that's their choice. Yeah. Um, that, um... It's just, it was just so frustrating, I remember, at the time because we'd just come off the back of that win against Middlesbrough. The whole stadium was rocking and then we've got two two games left that were winnable, I suppose. Fulham at home, Villa away to kind of get us out of trouble. And I mean, I get the impression from the outside looking in there was a lot of individual issues with Pete, with the players in that dressing room because I mean if you look at what happened the following pre-season at Leighton Orient players that were there didn't want to be there so I, I imagine it wasn't just Michael Owen that was thinking about what about this in the summer but to hear your, your, your record signings think already think about a move elsewhere when you've got two games left for survival that are winnable it's, 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 it's a right kick between the legs for support that 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 Middlesbrough game, the night of that Middlesbrough game, I went back to Alan's house. We watched the we watched, we watched the game again. I felt like getting out of the bottom three. We might have got out of the bottom three that night. I think we did just just brief momentarily before this whole whole couldn't win a game to save their lives. That they were losing every week, and, and all we needed to do was just win a game because they weren't going to win in my eyes. I didn't think 
And that, and that, I remember standing, Gareth Southgate came in, he was the manager of Middlesbrough at the time, and I felt sorry for him. I looked at him and yeah, thought, you're, you're, yeah, you've got, you've gone, and you've got, you've gone that way. We're going this way. <laughs> the kind of, the kind of, um, um, I know. And then, and then you get a, you get a message, you get a message from, through Derek Lambias from Mike Ashley sending all messages the same as he loves them and all this sort of stuff. And 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 it's all, and 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 yeah, ask me that I think the next two games, Fulham at home, fully expected us to win. You never can guarantee it, but I fully expected us to win. Didn't have any great views of Aston Villa either, to be honest. With you. But but um. When you go to India, India dressing room, and you say, you say, are there problems with players? You're walking, you're walking in the dressing room, and, and you don't know what the player's relationship is with the football club. You don't know what's been said between his agents and the, and, the, and, the, and the management. Maybe the player wanted another contract, and the, and the club have said, yeah, "Go and get lost." And that one, you've no, at that point, you've no idea. And, and at one point, when we walked in, we had, we had, and, and we had, six, I think there were six players at one point who were on staggering amounts of money. And all were injured at some point during our time, and those six players were Michael, Mark Baduka, uh, Alan Smith, Ger- Jeremy, and Joey Barton. And they all were big players who could have contributed. Um, and and, and in, some, in some ways they didn't. But from the football club's point of view, the football club were looking at those people thinking, "We're paying you stacks and stacks of money, and you're not, you're not giving us anything." And the players probably are having conversations in the football club, thinking, I'm, "I don't want to be here anymore because uh, they're just there's so." When you walk into a losing changing room, football football can be a cancerous place. When 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 it, when 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 a team's not doing well, and everybody's looking at everybody to see why we're not doing well, and it surely well, it must be your fault, can't be mine. So when a football club is doing really well, it's a great place to be. And I've been at Newcastle United when it's been the best place in the world to work. You know, some days when I've walked into work and just thought, oh my god, get me out of here. It it it, it just. I was, it, it sounds me when you say that, Paul, but I'm just, I completely understand where you're coming from. But it's just, yeah. I think it's obviously still quite a hurtful time from that, for that, that tiny bit of an era where you, can, you can't really forget about it, but you have to try it because there's obviously where you, when you look at the team it now. It just seems like, sorry, John, it just seems like you was chucked under the bus because yeah. you walked in there, Maybe. eight games to go, and there, it's just from top to bottom the place was just an absolute mess yeah, i look at I look at you look at a world-class manager rafa benitez given a few years later with 10 games everyone couldn't 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 turn around anybody, anybody and it's easy to say this, this revisionism of alan shear as a manager really frustrates me sometimes because actually how can you judge a manager who's never had a chance to buy players sell players you've got you know you had never had never had a chance to put his own team on the pitch you know what Football's not it's, not, it's not just as simple. And I wish if it was that simple, it would happen all the time. It's not just as simple as a new man walks through the door and then everything magically happens. It, it doesn't always happen that way. However, sometimes it does when, when Bobby came in after the came It happened magically because they won nine. But, but it, it doesn't, but it took Bobby a long time to take that team. It took Bobby, you know, that was a one off game. It took him a long time to get that team. His first season made it finish 13 to 14. It took him a while and, and to get it to there. It took Rafa Benitez a relegation and coming back. To get it to get it anywhere, and I still don't think he got it anywhere great, if I'm being honest. And I, and I, and I, I didn't, I, we did not, not, not only because of him, because of the circumstances he's working under 100%. Um, Paul, that's sort of about the autobiography, the, the boy in the sheds. Um, why did you want to, why did you want to talk about, um, like your life essentially? And you talk about so, so a, a, a variety of different things, but. I was trying to think of other football players that had written like an autobiography about themselves or about books. And the only one I can think of is I think Frank Lampard wrote like children's books. Obviously, it's completely different what you what you've spoken about. But what was the what was the general idea for it? Why why did you want to write it? 
Um, but number deep, you know, I actually was frightened for my, I had a heart attack and I was frightened for my longevity and I wanted my kids to have an idea of, of who we were and who, the, who they were. So it wasn't, I, didn't, I never set out to write a, I never set out to write a football book or a sports book and I don't, I genuinely, I don't put people off on it, but I don't think it is a sports book or, 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 or a football book first and foremost. It happens to have 18 years of Newcastle United in there. The easiest book in the world for me to write, to get published, as someone who wasn't an author, would have been to write about Newcastle United because someone would have picked it up. Yeah. What I chose to write about was my, I chose to write about was my mother and her, her health, my own health, growing up in the troubles in Ireland. I chose to write about things that 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 were important, were important to me to give my kids an identity as to who they are. So I started to, I started to write this thing with no aspiration of getting the publisher. I just sat at my kitchen table and typed it out with two fingers and and and, and sent it off to five agents. And and one of them came back to me and said, I think this is a really good book. And the others came back and said, we don't like it. Uh, and then it's not a sports book. It doesn't know what it wants to be, all that sort of stuff. And then before I knew it, within a month, he, he got me a guy called Roddy Bloomfield, who's the most well-respected um, editor of, of sports books maybe in the world, actually. did did loads into a thousand books. And I'm having lunch with him, and he just said, you seem to lack confidence about your writing. Can I just tell you this is a really this is going to be a really big book that you you, you, you something really interesting. And then it, it it came out and it just it just took off and it won awards and it won awards and it won and it got and I thought Christ where's that where's that come from because that wasn't it was just typing it with two I was just typing it I was just typing it with two fingers genuinely and the stuff about Newcastle and I didn't know that that mattered to me so that's why I wrote about the things that mattered to me there's a million other things that happened that I could have written about that I. That I, that I chose not to because it just didn't it, it just wasn't what I was trying to what I was trying to do I was just so in very simple terms without waffling on it was it was it was that give my family an account of of why their mom and dad speak with funny accents and they live in Newcastle and and, and, and <laughs> so their kids an idea of who we were and and, and I think I was you know I, I'd had a I'd had a 99% blockage in my main coronary artery I had a big big moment in my life where, where, I, where I had a heart attack that, that that kills lots of people and it was just I need to get this written down, which is which is what I've what I've done. We we surprised just how well received it was because I mean for anyone that doesn't have it, um, it's on our Amazon store, the Newcastle Fan TV Amazon store. I urge you all to go and get it because it is fantastic. But but like you say, you, you did it kind of for your own reasons. But it's 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 like you say, it's won loads of awards, and it's the the reception when it first came out was absolutely phenomenal, wasn't it? It was amazing. It's, it's still, it still shocks me. It's still, it's, 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 it's currently with it. I mean, there's been option now for a film and TV um, rights with for some with this sort of international film consortium, and they're talking about you know, the first camera shoot's going to be this and that. And you, and you, you almost look at it and think, are they talking about? Is that my book? Because that that doesn't it still doesn't seem still because all I did was type out some stuff on my kitchen table. That's what I did, and I sent it off as a as a mess to somebody, and then I, then I got turned into this book. And actually, even at the time, I'm looking at them. I'm looking at the, you know, you put the title thing. Is that a stupid title? And then you have no, you've no idea what it's going to be. And actually, then all of a sudden, it, someone says, "Oh, you, your book's just become the Sunday Times Sports Book of the Year, or it's the Times Sports Book of the Year." So you think, Jesus Christ, how does that happen? Because I'm not a, no, I'm not a writer. But however, I need to stop doing this myself. I, if someone said to me, "What do you do for a living?" I think the last thing I would say is, "Well, I'm an author or, or, or a writer as well," because I would, I, I almost feel embarrassed to say it because it's not, but, it, but. But I'm allowed to say it now because it because it is yeah. there. I, I walk into a bookshop and I can see it. It's definitely me. So 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 um so I so I like 
I like the writing process. The people that I work with now, if, if ever they've got something to do or, or they want they want some writing, they'll always ask me to, to, to do it or put some words on the page for them. I, I like I like I like putting words on the I obviously do like putting words on the page and, and I think the thing that excited me most about the book was people praising the actual writing, the quality of the writing. Someone's you know, you get you get like some eminent journalists saying he writes beautifully or does he? Oh that's fantastic. <laughs> but you know it's that it's that kind of stuff that I like as much as yeah, you know, and, and it's 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 sold really well and it's and it's I get people contact me from 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 all over the world. I mean, a guy contacted me last week from Canada. A guy's contacted me from Australia, and it's just bizarre. And they say, "Oh, I'm really connected with that bit," or "I get that." You know, I'm pleased you were honest about that, or because I think it's a very honest. I hope it's a very honest book, um, and that's what I tried to be. When people like Henry Winter comment on your book, yeah. and say it's a very good book, and it'll be one of the most talked about football books, even though obviously football yeah. has a part in it, that just tells it tells you how good it is because well, that, was a, that, was early, that was brilliant. That was an early indication. He he came in very early before it was even published. I think he he made a, he was sent an advanced, advanced copy, I think. Um and then you got several other ones you come there's there was, there was you know guys that you've looked at and journalists you respected and then you see them comment and I've got lots of messages through Alan because these these journalists don't know how to get to me because I, I I don't live in their world. So yeah, I get a message from Alan saying, "Here, have a read of this. This is from this is from this. You know, all these household name journalists are saying, I've, I've read your mate's book. Can you can you pass a message on to him? And you get these lovely messages through Alan to say, oh, and they think, well, that's you know, that, I guess they're all very nice things, but in reality, what I set out to do was to write this account so my family would have it, and now they now they have it and also have a nice story to go with it that it became a big success, and that's something to be proud of, I think. So you mentioned um, briefly that is it going to be made into for TV or is it going to be made into a movie? Like, because you could be the next Santiago Munoz if it's going to be. A- yeah, they think there's um, suggestions of TV, uh, TV, um, you know, like a six part or eight part type thing. That's it. Nice. But um, but again, when I look and listen to what they say, a lot of that will be the the early stages of my life, growing up in the troubles and those things. And I think they're right to focus on those bits because they're the bits, they're the bits. Um, that I think really uh, that really resonated with me when I was writing it. That the hardest bits for me to write were the Newcastle United bits because I wasn't some of it. I wasn't I wasn't feeling as much, but I thought I, it's my life. I've got to write it, but I didn't want it to be some kind of. I never wanted it to be. That's why when you say about the Michael, I never wanted it to be. Oh, here comes here comes a physiotherapist criticizing footballers and doing it. I never wanted it to be that. I want I wanted at the time you get to that point about Michael Owen or Rude Hullett or Graham Sooners or Bobby Robson. I want you to trust the narrator. I want you. To, I want you to be in my journey with me, so you understand what makes this person tick. What is it he values as his his core values? Now, now if that if that person with those values is sitting in a room and this event happens, he's bound to react in this way because that's that's how his mum brought him up. That's how he he understands. So I want you to get with me in the journey. That's what I'm trying to do. Just by the time you get to those points, we actually think, yeah, I know you. We don't know who you are. We know you're a backroom member staff, but we've decided that we think you understand right from wrong. We think you understand. What's what's right in the world? So therefore, when when some stuff happens in football that's just so far removed from that, you're gonna you're gonna react to it. Hundred um, percent. The final question that I've got for you, Paul, is: What is the proudest moment of your career? In in football. In life. Right in the book. Right in the book. I thought I thought becoming a barrister was 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 it, but right in the book. Also, right in the book. Getting the book published. Getting, getting a, getting a. Honestly, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever tried this. I mean, if you do, writing the book's the easy part. Trying to get a publisher when you have no, when you have no contacts in that world is it's almost. It's just. I mean, I wrote, a, I wrote a novel ten years ago that I couldn't get it published properly, and and 
and I, and I thought we, and I sent it off to the five agents, and I'm still waiting for a reply. And 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 I, and, I, and I sent the Irish heart. Uh, sorry, that was the level. I sent the boy in the shed off, and four people still haven't replied, and one did. I've written I've written another manuscript after that. Sent it off. No one's no. You know you know you watch these Hollywood films and you see the agent always saying to the the author, give me your next book because the publishers go. In my case, they're saying, please don't give me another book. It's like, it, 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 it's just, it's that's a real slog to try and get that and try and get that. And actually, someone like me, with my background, you know, I know I was, I was bred at school, but secondary school education, you'll be typing on two fingers and then see it in a book. That's pretty, that's pretty spectacular. But. Very much so. To, to get a book published, like you say, is an, an amazing achievement. So I can only congratulate you. On that achievement, and to be made into TV as well. I can't mean yeah. it. Oh, that'd be, that'd be I can't wait to it. Sam, what an hour we've had. Yeah, I am um, again. The boy in the shed is available on our Newcastle Fans TV Amazon store. I urge everyone to go and buy it and read it. Forward is by, um, by the big man himself, Alan Shearer, as well. So, um, yeah, get it. <laughs> Thank Paul, you. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Green Room on the show to speak about your time to be as candid and open as you have. It's been absolutely brilliant to have you on. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. No problem. Again, if you can support this podcast by subscribing to Newcastle Fans TV, you can watch it via uh, Spotify, iTunes. If you can leave a review, that'd be greatly appreciated as well. But again, a big thanks to Paul and to Sam, and we'll see you all very, very soon.